everyone and welcome back to the Shivering Mouse. I am so excited to have you back here today while we discuss a new attraction from Disney's Hollywood Studios. Okay, the attraction itself isn't all that new, but it was new to me last time I went. Um, it was my first time riding this attraction and I was pretty excited about it. I'm not going to lie. It was fantastic, better than I expected it to be. Now, if you do hear a little bit of rustling and growling and stuff in the background, you know the drill. The puppies are, you know, playing around. They've got a new tug-of-war toy, so they're kind of pulling that, and of course that involves a lot of growling at each other. In the immortal words of Falcon from Captain America Civil War, I don't know if you've ever been in a fight before, but it usually doesn't require this much talking. That's kind of how I feel about them and their rope toy. Give me that. There we go. Let's see if that distracts them for a second. So, today's attraction, as you may have guessed, is Toy Story Mania. The Disney Go description reads, Zip through an exhilarating 4D shooting game starring Toy Story characters and blast away. Some safety information included with this attraction includes you can go on it at any height or age. There is some spinning, so if you're somebody who's going to be thrown off due to, you know, quick spinning around corners and stuff, this may not be for you if you've got like a inner ear issues or, or an equilibrium kind of thing. Uh, you must be able to transfer to and from your wheelchair. Speak to a cast member about your service animal. It doesn't explicitly say that service animals are not permitted, but it does not say that they are. So it doesn't really clarify. It just says to speak to a cast member. There is audio description and video captioning available. And just be watching out for swift movements and motion sickness is specifically on the warning list. So those of you who are susceptible to that, um, I would go ahead and, you know, I don't know, try it out. It's from what I experienced personally, it's definitely not in like the whole Star Tours body wars category as far as motion sickness, but I also know that a lot of people are a lot more sensitive to that than I am. So yeah, I, I don't know. I'd have to hear more from people who have ridden it and maybe once it's stuck around a little longer, I'll know. But I haven't really heard any guest complaints about motion sickness, but it is on the warning label for the attraction. Gotta say, this is one of my favorite queues in all of Disney World. The attraction definitely starts with the queue in this particular attraction. There is a animatronic Mr. Potato Head who is absolutely amazing interacting with the crowd as you walk by. And he's kind of the carnival barker for this particular attraction. The guardrails for your queue are different crayons at different level. There are classic board games and, uh, when you enter Andy's room, it's very much like if you played Kingdom Hearts 3, how Sora is a toy in that, so it's very much to scale. It feels a lot like that, because um, it's it's supposed to be a situation where, like, outside of the attraction in Toy Story Land, you've been shrunk down to the size of a toy, and you're now one of Andy's toys. So Andy took a bunch of board games and... Uh, stuff like that, and made kind of a shooting gallery, kind of carnival style, out of all of his board games and stuff. So you put on these 3D glasses, and you use a spring action shooter to hit the moving targets as a toy yourself. There are a couple different levels here. There's ham and eggs, 
We shoot hard-boiled eggs at targets in a barnyard, and that's hosted by Ham, of course. Uh, Rex and Trixie's dino darts, and you throw darts at, to pop balloons in front of a volcano. Green Army Men Shoot Camp, aim your baseballs at dinner plates, and you're at a firing range. Buzz Lightyear's Flying Tossers, you toss rings to catch some of the little green men aliens. And Woody's Rootin' Tootin' Shootin' Gallery, you shoot a suction cup tip darts at targets inspired by the Woody's Roundup TV show. The harder to hit a target is, the more points it's worth. So the choice is yours as far as strategy. You can go for quantity and try and hit a whole bunch of easy targets, or quality and just hit a select few higher point targets that might be harder to hit so it takes a little more time and a little more careful practice aiming. This attraction is so much fun. You have no idea. Like, I honestly walked into this one expecting another Buzz Lightyear Space Ranger spin. And don't get me wrong, Buzz Lightyear is a fun attraction and all. But for me, it just falls short in a couple areas. I may have mentioned this during the Buzz Lightyear episode, but for me, the biggest issue with the Buzz Lightyear attraction is that when you come around the corner and you're shooting at Zerg or anything like that... um. There's like a million little red laser pointer dots, and you're really not sure which one is yours because there's a whole bunch of people aiming at everything at one time. So you're really not sure where you're aiming, which dot is your dot, and whether you hit your target. The only real way to tell is to look at your score and to try and aim at the same time. Not my specialty. I've never been a great one for shooter games or anything like that, and this kind of emphasizes my weakness in that category because I never know which little red Amy dot is my aiming dot, and so I'm never sure if I'm hitting anything or everything or nothing. So I really have that issue with Buzz Lightyear. That is totally negated in... Toy Story Mania because you're doing you know like a heart a larger I don't want to say bullet larger projectile um, for this attraction like a boiled egg like a baseball and so you know exactly which one is yours you can see the arc of your object as you toss or shoot it and so it's much easier to tell where you personally are aiming at rather than seeing all the trillions of dots where everybody is aiming. So that really helps. And as far as this one, I did not have nearly as abysmal of a score as I always do on Buzz Lightyear. Um, like I said, the queue is hugely immersive. You literally feel like you're in Andy's room and you are about the same size as Woody and Jesse and Buzz, you know, just, just a wee little toy. There's this huge, huge door with the doorknob and it's, it sounds ridiculous, but it's, it's incredible, and I think I have a couple photos I'll have to find and post up there when I put this put this particular show up, but it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. It's completely immersive. This is, to me, the part of Toy Story Land that most makes you feel like you're shrunk down and toy-sized, and there are a few places in Walt Disney World where you really do feel like you've kind of been sucked out of our world and put right into a Disney movie. This is one of those places. This is right up there with um, kind of walking through the Rapunzel bathroom area where you feel like you're in Rapunzel right by her tower. This is very much like that in that you feel like you've been put into a Disney movie. I think the Swiss Family Robinson Treehouse is another place that hits me like that. You absolutely feel like you are one of Andy's toys. You, you're tempted to check the bottom of your shoe. I mean, it's crazy how realistic it is because... It, it's just like the set of Toy Story. And I say set 
loosely because of course it's animated, but you know what I mean. And you do feel like you've been put right into that space and it's fantastic. But another thing that makes this one a little easier than Buzz Lightyear too is that you, uh, you hold still so only the target moves. So that really helps too. Whereas on Buzz Lightyear, both you and your target are moving. This one, the target moves, but you're holding still at least. So at least to me, that was very helpful. So some media of the week. I would like to recommend a podcast called Dog Tales. It's pretty cool. It's put on by the Parcast Network. And it's different stories of different dogs in history and what they have done that has kind of... Uh, changed history for us. Um, it includes such dogs as the first one to go up into space, um, Balto and Togo, which you can also see a movie about each of them respectively on Disney+. Plus. So it's a pretty interesting addition to any podcast list. Media of the Week also includes the movie Peter Pan, the original animated one, and 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. Now, foolish mortals, it's time for the villain's lair. Today, we're going to talk about kind of a different villain. It's one that you don't see a lot, either in Disney parks or um, really in any of the villain shows or anything like that. It's kind of an overlooked villain, which always kind of surprises me, and that's Madame Medusa. Now, this Madame is not like Madame Mim, which is just M-A-D-A-M. This is Madame with an E at the end of Madame. I don't know if that makes any difference, but... They felt the need to include it. This is from Disney's The Rescuers in 1977, based on the two different books by Marjorie Sharp. I believe it was uh, The Rescuers and Miss Bianca were the two books that this story in particular was based on. Madame Medusa is the primary villain of this movie, and it's, like I said, a little weird that we don't see her as often as you would think in Disney media, because she is just awful. I mean awful. I don't know. She just doesn't show up that much, but you'd think. She owns a scummy little pawn shop in New York City. Her henchman's name is Mr. Snoops. So we've got Medusa and Snoops. Kind of makes you wonder who the bad guy is in this movie, right? Just in case you forgot these are the, the not nice characters. Their names are Medusa and Snoops. Hard to get more obvious than that. So the story opens with Bernard and Bianca being assigned to respond to a letter found in a bottle that is asking for help from a little orphan girl named Penny who has been kidnapped. Now, through some pretty slick detective work for some mice, Bernard and Bianca figure out that Penny has been kidnapped by this lady, Madame Medusa, who owns, I don't know if she owns it or if she's just kind of squatting there, but she has like a big... um kind of classic paddle boat in New Orleans, or the New Orleans area, it's implied. Um, and they live on this kind of old, decrepit, decaying paddle boat down in Devil's Bayou, where Medusa has somehow figured out where there is some missing pirate treasure. And it's at the bottom of this deep hole that must somehow have some kind of ocean exposure because when the tide comes in, this hole fills up with water. And what they've been doing is since this dark hole in the ground is too small for the adults to go into, Medusa and Snoops have been taking this poor little girl that they've kidnapped, putting her in a bucket and lowering her into this hole to search for diamonds and pirate treasure 
all day long. And she has basically until the tide starts coming in to find whatever it is Medusa wants. Now what they've been doing is having her grab as much treasure as she can and they pull her out of the hole before before the tide comes in because the tide would fill that little cave and the little girl would drown. Now Medusa is all up in arms because Mr. Snoops has just caught Penny sending out calls for help in bottles. So she's decided to come down to New Orleans and handle this situation herself and she's feisty about it. So she catches Penny and tells her this time, you are going to stay in this hole until you bring me the diamond I want. And I'm not bringing you back out of the hole. So if you don't bring me the exact diamond I want, you're just going to drown down there. And, you know, she's just a real sweet lady. So the diamond specifically that she's after is called the Devil's Eye. And it looks to me, based on kind of the proportions of the characters in the cartoon, to be about the size of a grapefruit, and the news reporter at the end of the movie says that it is the largest diamond in the world. And so while Penny has been bringing them lots of different gems and gold and pearls, Medusa wants this specific diamond. Seems a little out of normal range for a seedy pawn shop. I feel like it would kind of stand out if she had it there, but to each their own. So she is super, super greedy about getting this diamond. Again, I feel like... If you tried to sell it for a profit, it would bring more attention than you'd want. But this is her motivation. And since it's a kid movie, I guess they just don't think that far ahead. So she wants Penny to bring back that diamond, not just all of the other treasure. Penny eventually finds the diamond with the help of Bernard and Bianca. It is actually inside the skull of a pirate at the bottom of that cave. They pry it out of the skull just as the tide is coming in and barely manage to get out of the cave before it fills with water. Medusa hides the diamond inside Penny's precious teddy bear because she knows that Mr. Snoops is also after this diamond. But Penny isn't excited about Medusa walking away with her teddy bear. She doesn't really care beans for the diamond because she's a little kid. But this teddy bear has been her only companion through her entire search for a forever home. And she's very, very attached to it. And so in the commotion of Medusa trying to sneak away with her shotgun and this teddy bear... Um, you know, the, the local animals kind of recruited by Bernard and Bianca chase, chase down uh, Madame Medusa. And there's just this huge fight that ensues that has to do with Medusa's alligator pets and Mr. Snoops's fireworks. And it just, I mean, things go crazy, guys. This is on Disney+. Plus. You can check it out for yourself. It is super fun. And the, the animals are just having a blast fighting off Medusa. They've been wanting to do this for a while. I don't know why they waited to intervene until Bernard and Bianca showed up, but I don't know. That's, that's how it goes, I guess. And so they, in the end, rescue Penny, who goes back home with the diamond, which is donated to the Smithsonian, which I thought was an interesting detail that they bothered to put in there. And she is adopted and finds her forever family. And so at the end of the movie, we see Bernard and Bianca get a new mission to go forward and kind of uh, rescue another kid. So it's a pretty cool. Madame Medusa kind of also falls into the category that we see with a lot of other 
Disney villains where she has bright green eyes. And I didn't know this until just the other day because I thought it was weird that all of my female Disney villains up until this point have green eyes. Turns out early in history, Western cultures associated green eyes with magic, which is why all of the early Disney villains have green eyes. In fact, no Disney heroes have green eyes until Esmeralda in The Hunchback of Notre Dame, which I thought was pretty interesting. And I didn't notice until... Until Medusa. And I'm like, holy cow, why does everybody have green eyes? I mean, and not just like green eyes, but like really lime green eyes. So there you go. That's an answer in case anybody besides me has wanted to know about the whole green eye thing. Medusa is motivated simply by greed. She is very, very green. Very, very green. That doesn't even make sense. Very, very vain and very, very greedy. Most greedy Disney villains will harm other adults for profit, but for the most part steer clear of harming children. That's usually more of the kind of jealous, vain stepmother gig like Queen Grimhilda. So it's a little different to see Medusa kind of hover in the middle of these since she's motivated by both vanity and greed. She kind of takes on the characteristics of both of those types of villains. She kidnaps an orphan girl to dump her in this black hole all day every day. And this is a uh, a little strange, too, to see this kind of vanity. She, I don't know, she's, she's great at the whole hurt and rescue game, like Mother Gothel, and so she keeps Penny motivated to continue working for her in that way. Like, she acts really, really sweet to Penny, while at the same time completely insulting her and obliterating her self-worth, which is an amazing tactic, and it seems to work for many Disney villains, especially female villains, and so you see that kind of happen here with, I almost said with Mother Gothel, with uh, Madame Medusa as well. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Oh, yes, yes, yes. I, I did kind of summarize kind of a background. She was probably very, very pretty when she was young. Like, she's got all of kind of the basics going on there for being a good-looking lady. Um, she may have been kind of a little bit trashy when she was younger, but definitely was probably a pretty attractive woman. And uh, I think as she has aged, rather than choosing to age gracefully, which would help her to retain that beauty just in a different form, she's instead decided to be one of those people that clings to their youth and pretends to be 20, 30, 40 years younger than they actually are. So rather than aging gracefully, which would have emphasized her beauty at a different stage in her life, it has just kind of emphasized the former beauty that simply isn't there anymore. And we all know somebody like this who just can't let go of the past and just kind of age in a natural way and rather than do that they kind of still dress like they're 22 and that's kind of what we see Madame Medusa here with the extremely sultry outfit and the extremely heavy makeup but she just doesn't have the body to pull it off anymore and if she maybe dressed more appropriate for her age she would actually look very lovely but because she tries to be somebody that she no longer is it just kind of makes the outside just as rough as the inside, which is, is quite sad, really, because it does say a lot about kind of her self-esteem in the, the process as well. Um, I do kind of love the idea of somebody having large, dangerous predators as pets. I'm more of a tiger girl myself. That's one of the kind of the things that I always liked about Jasmine is that she has a tiger for her pet. I always thought that was the coolest thing ever. Medusa has giant alligators, and she named them Brutus and Nero, which... 
Again, the names in this movie are very revealing as to who the bad guys are. Disney does not try to hide that at all. But, uh, so she would be a pretty cool villain, except for the whole child kidnapping thing. For me, that is a bridge too far. I'm not into that. So that's today's villain of the week. That's Madame Medusa. She's very interesting. I kind of wish we got more of a backstory on her because she's extremely kind of flamboyant and dramatic and would be really interesting to know more about. Chad and I were talking about this particular movie and saying, you know, Disney's going back and redoing all of their movies and making them live action and how cool this movie would be as a live action movie because it has all of that kind of bayou with the dripping Spanish moss and it's beautifully animated in this movie but it would be an incredible incredible live action movie if they set it down south too it would be just absolutely gorgeous he's kind of funny too because he had kind of directly cast um Carol Burnett as Madame Medusa and I think she would really be incredible too because Carol Burnett is not beyond kind of looking goofy for a laugh she is you know she would be comfortable doing this kind of role, and I think she'd be really, really good at it. They would probably have to put some padding on her because she's more thin than Madame Medusa is. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I think she would be fantastic at it, and I think it would really be a hilarious movie to watch. So if Disney is listening out there, definitely give us a live animation um, rescuers with Carol Burnett as Medusa. It would be phenomenal. And, you know... If they can animate all of The Lion King, it would probably be cheaper to animate The Rescuers because there'd at least be some real sets and real people involved. So, I don't know. That's just kind of a take from me and Chad as we were both doing my research for the podcast this week. Thank you so much for tuning in with me and sticking with me for this version of the Villain's Lair and for the Shivering Mouse podcast. You can always support this podcast and help it continue to grow at patreon.com slash shiveringmouse. I also kind of love getting comments and stuff from my listeners there, and it's such a joy to share that opportunity with you. You can, of course, still find me on SoundCloud and um, at... Oh gosh, just every podcast. I'm on Google Podcast. I'm on uh, Stitcher and the, I don't know if I'm on iHeartRadio yet, but I'm pretty much everywhere. Very easy to find me, but only on Patreon will you get the bonus episodes that I release every Wednesday that are about stories that inspire Disney movies and kind of the background of those stories. Sometimes I summarize it. Sometimes I actually read the original story. So if you do want those extra pieces, you can get it by donating as little as a dollar a month to gain access to my special Patreon episodes. Thank you so much for tuning in this week and have a wonderful weekend.